You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, in this morning hour, we ask that by the gift and presence of your Holy Spirit, you will take words ever ancient, yet ever new, and open our hearts and our minds to perceive the wonder of this season and what this season witnesses and tells us about every year about your coming into the world to make everything new. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning to all of you. <clears throat> I, um, I'd like to spend some time this morning in the Micah text. So if you have your, your what, what do we, leaflet, leaflet um, find the Micah text, and, and I'd like to look at that for a little bit. Page three. Page three. <laughs> um, and, and I, I, I want to go Bible study with you a little bit this morning uh, for just a few moments. And I hope I, hope I don't lose you, but I want to talk a little bit about Micah and, and set up for us really what might be one of the most famous verses from all of the Old Testament about the coming of Jesus, Micah 5, verse 2, uh, which says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. I've got the NIV here. I think the um, from eternal days past might be what you have in your bulletin or leaflet. Um, so I, I want to set this up because Micah, uh, if, if, I, if one can have a man crush on a prophet, um, I, I, I would, it would be Micah and Isaiah for me. I, I think both, and I've spent a lot of time with the both of them. We're close. Um, and, and, I, and Micah is a fascinating book in the Minor Prophets, or what we might also call the Book of the Twelve, because you know the Minor Prophets are twelve in number. And Micah's right smack dab in the middle, right? which is interesting. That, that's a curiosity. Um, because we actually would probably think, according to our own organizational schema, that we would probably want to put Micah more toward the beginning of the Minor Prophets, say right after Amos. In fact, there are translations, like the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the so-called Septuagint, um, which puts Micah earlier. So you have something like Hosea, Amos, and then Micah. And that makes sense because Micah is an 8th century prophet like Hosea and Amos. And yet, that's not the way in which the Hebrew canon has, or our English Bibles, has the minor prophets ordered. It stuck Micah right here in the middle. And that's a curiosity. That's the kind of thing that makes you step back and go, why would they do that? If they're not thinking in terms of chronology, temporally speaking, why Micah here? And I, I won't turn this into a classroom, but I'm, I'm convinced that Micah's position in the Minor Prophets is intentional for interpretive reasons. Micah's right here as a kind of hinge in the prophetic books to help us think through the character of God and his judging and saving purposes in the world. And Micah provides for us a kind of entry point into all these very lived dynamics. So, if Micah is the center book of the whole of the minor prophets, Hosea all the way to Malachi, wouldn't you know it that right in the middle of Micah we find the middle, I mean the actual middle of the minor prophets. In fact, the Hebrew scribes called um, the Masoretes, and I tell my students where I teach, when I become a man someday, I'd like to be a Masorete. 
um, that really know their Bibles. And if you kind of find a Masoretic text, you'll be reading along, and all of a sudden, here's all your Hebrew letters, and then you'll find one that moves, say, from like 16-point font to 30-point font, right in the middle of a word. It's crazy. So here you go, Aleph, Beta, then a massive Hebrew letter, and then there's the smaller ones going back across the rest of the reading. Why? This is why I want to be one of these Masoretes when I grow up. They, they've counted every letter in all of the minor prophets, from Hosea to Malachi, I'm not talking words, every letter, right? And they have found the middle letter in all of the minor prophets, and they wanted you to know what it was, so they made it real big. And guess where we find that middle letter in all the minor prophets? Right at the end of Micah chapter 3, verse 12. And I want to read this to you, because I think something strategic's going on here that lends itself to understanding Micah 5, verse 2. And I want to read these two verses to you, because I think Micah chapter 3, verse 12, and Micah chapter 4, verse 1, I have a student in here who just wrote a paper on this, um, is the center of the, of the minor prophets theologically. Are you ready for it? Here it comes. Therefore, because of you, Zion, you will be plowed like a field, and Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, the temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. You're like, you know what? If I was going to pick a center verse, I might want to do better than that. It's not all that encouraging. I mean, what's the promise here? It's the promise about the judging character of God to deal with humanity, specifically God's people's sin. And what's the effect of that? The temple mount, the, the epicenter of Israel's religious life and worldview. It's now, if I can gloss this, it's now um, an archaeological site. You know how they do archaeological sites in, in, the, in Israel and the Middle East even now. It's, it's remarkable. This is not my field, but it's, it's crazy. They're going along, and here they are in the middle of some field, and they're like, huh, there's some interesting rocks that are on a pile. Matter of fact, those rocks don't look normal. Maybe those are some sort of rubble from something else. Let's dig here. And then all of a sudden they begin to dig, voila, there's an old synagogue right underneath. That's how they discover these archaeological sites. This is what Mike is telling us. The judgment of God will come, that's my Bible. The judgment of God will come to Mount Zion in such a way that it will be a future indication for someone to do an archaeological dig. It's going to be overgrown. It's going to be green. There's going to be some rocks out of place where people say something interesting must have happened here a long time ago. Let's dig here. And that's central here. This is what we might call the promise of the death of death and sin. But there's a next verse. Isn't this interesting? So here you have the Temple Mount all overgrown. And now you move into Micah chapter 4, verse 1, the very next verse. So let me go ahead and just tell you what my thesis is. Here's the sermon point. Right in the middle of Micah is the promise of death and resurrection. Because here's the very next verse after this promise of it being a future archaeological dig. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. In other words, the word of judgment that we word of, the, the, the word of death that we heard about in verse 12 is not God's final word. In fact, that word will, will lend itself and will open up like a flower budding into the promise of chapter 4, verse 1, which is what? In a future day, this mountain of the Lord, Mount Zion, will be raised into such a way that all of the nations will stream to it. 
God takes things that are dead and he infuses life into them and he raises them from the dead. This right in the heart of the minor prophets is Easter Friday and Resurrection Sunday right before us. And you're like, well, that's a fascinating kind of, uh, you know, uh, discussion here on Micah. What, what does it have to do with Micah chapter 5? Because the figure who's announced in Micah chapter 5 is the agent. He's the means by which the resurrection of Zion, by which the resurrection of the world will happen. The promises that we read about back in Micah chapter 4, verse 1. And this is what we read. But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are small among the clans, from you will come forth from me a ruler. What's the promise here? The promise is for something new. This is, this is what I love about Micah 5, verse 2. The promise here is that God is going to do something new in our midst, but it's new in continuity with what's old. Do you notice a curious feature here? What, what's, what's God saying through Micah the prophet? He's going back to Bethlehem again. That's an indication of God starting over again. It's a kind of restart button in God's Davidic economy. Why? Because we know that David was from Bethlehem. But once David takes the throne in Jerusalem, we know how the process of kings and the transfer of power goes on in monarchic societies. How does, how does it work? Well, David had a son named Solomon there in Jerusalem, and he became king. And then Solomon there in Jerusalem, he had a son named Rehoboam, and he became king. Um, do any of you have Andrew, P is it Peterson, is that the guy behold the lamb? His, his uh, little Christmas cantata thing or whatever that is. There's a great song on there that goes through all of the genealogies of the kings of Judah. Now, really fun, I've been listening to it. So you have all these kings that are born, and where are they born? They're born in Jerusalem because that's the epicenter of Israel's religious and political life. And God says through Micah the prophet, I'm not going to Jerusalem. I'm going back to Bethlehem to start all over. It's an indication, like we read in Micah chapter 4, verse 1, that God's up to doing something that's new. And it's not precedent according to the normal political cycles. It's going all the way back to Bethlehem. And there's another nuance here. It's remarkable. Listen to the language. The origin of this figure who comes out of Bethlehem is not just from the Davidic tribe and clan. His origins are from of old. And if I can give you a Genelette translation this morning, his origins are from eternity. There's smoke and fire here in this verse. As this promised figure who's going to emerge in Bethlehem as an indication of God's newness, of his new things, his new promises of redemption, because death cannot have the final word. Sin cannot have the victory. And so God goes on this radical voyage and journey to make all things new. And how does he do it? He sends a figure from his very life, from his very being, into the world to come in. And he starts in this little scene here in in, in Bethlehem. Uh, I won't ex we won't go through all of this because I, know, I see the time. But what is this figure doing? Well, you can read these verses, a good Christmas Eve reading if you're looking for something with your family. He appears in a moment of need. This figure comes as a shepherd, as a king, a royal image. He rules in God's strength, in God's equity. He rules in the name of the Lord. He's the, right, he's the kind of king that we so desperately need. 
And what's the result of this right kind of king? The result is security, and the result is shalom. It's peace. True human flourishing. What's Micah telling us here in Micah chapter 5? That God is making everything new. And he's starting with this figure that emerges in the scene in Bethlehem. Isn't it fascinating there in the beginning of Matthew? Here's Herod. And Herod's nervous. And he's nervous for a good reason. And here these wise men come. And uh, this is, I I find so interesting as well. But the wise men, of course, they're reading the stars. And we kind of get all fascinated by the fact that they're reading the stars. But if you remember from Daniel and other places, they're not just reading the stars. They're reading the Bible. Right. These are kings that have studied the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures and they have, they've studied it and they know what's going on because they're students of God's word more so even than Herod. So Herod has to, after he hears that this king is coming and, he's, he's, and the star is here and now he's perplexed and, and, he's, and he's flummoxed and, and what does he do? He brings in his scribes and he asks them, when the Messiah comes, where is he to be born? And it's almost as if, if we can read below the surface here, that Herod's scribes say to him, have you ever read the Bible? Right? Because what do the scribes say? He'll be born in Bethlehem. Because that's what the prophet said. And then these scribes and these uh, wise men quote Micah chapter 5, uh, verse 2. God's making everything new. Can I say this to you today? This, this is the promise of Christmas. It's a yearly festival, and I like the rhythm of it because we need it again and again, where we bring to mind our only hope for peace and wholeness, true human flourishing. In Jesus, who came from Bethlehem, God's promise to us in this moment of newness. I have to imagine that some of you here this morning, (laughs) myself included, might say, my life right now is anything but peaceful and whole. I feel fractured and chaotic. I get it. Me too. But this Jesus from Bethlehem will become King Jesus who returns from heaven in time, returning to make everything new forever. It's hard to even conceive of it, isn't it? Perpetual newness we all know what christmas eve i mean christmas night depression is you can remember it from when you were a kid right the moment comes we tear into the presents you play with them all afternoon and then you get to christmas night and you're like well kind of like peggy lee well is that all there is right is anything more to this perpetual newness our christmases come and go but someday newness forever and it's going to happen in that little baby in that little promise in a manger a promise of newness okay this is time for a little honesty i don't always love christmas hymns okay um i like i like a lot of them i mean this is probably not oh much i shouldn't say this but if i never saying oh come all you faithful again that'd be fine that'd be fine for me um but there are some that i love i love one of them was played this morning. Um, Lo, how a rose air blooming. I, that just wells all kinds of feelings up inside of me. But there's one other that I wanted to read to you this morning because it has to do with Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And this sense of wonder and newness. I'm only going to read the first verse, and you can hum the rest for the rest of the day. 
But it goes like this. What child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? And here's the big symbol crash. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him, Lord, babe, the son of Mary. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.